I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Uh, we have to start this episode on a bit of a downer. A legend has has left us. Uh, pretty much uh, right before last week's episode came out, so there was like no time to put it in. We lost a legend in Ed Asner. Yeah. Um. Just. Just the greatest. Um, I I grew up watching him on Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Twice a night, every night. <laughs> on on Nick at night, he had spunk. I hate spunk. <laughs> Ninety one. That's a hell of a hell of a life. Yeah. I mean, and even then, even if you weren't watching the reruns of Nick at Night. He was a in his later years in the in the nineties, he was a very prominent voice actor for a lot of the shows that we grew up watching. Batman the Animated Series, Animaniacs, Gargoyles, Freakazoid. 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 Yeah. Yeah, he was Cosgrove and Freakazoid. He was Hudson in Gargoyles. Yep. Um and of course then he does up. Which, as we are recording this, they just released a ton of new shorts based off Up with Ed Asner reprising the role. Yeah, which is bittersweet now. Yeah. Um, I have I haven't even had a chance to watch them, but uh, you know, I'm probably gonna cry my way through them. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's he's on Cobra Kai, which is on Hulu. Um. Or Netflix, excuse Netflix, me. Netflix, yeah. Um, he's on Cobra Kai. Uh, I mean, he was working up until the hour. Uh, and he still has projects that haven't come out yet. Yeah, he was doing voice work for American Dad as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Grace and Frankie. Yeah. He has a movie coming out, at, I believe, next year called The Gettysburg Address, playing Edward Everett. So um, it's like, yeah, he's got, he, there's, a, there's, yeah, the man just was a workhorse. Uh, do you remember, uh, there, there was a, when, there was, a bit he used to do on um, Jay Leno's Tonight Show. All right. <laughs> Does this impress Ed Asner? <laughs> do you remember that? I do not. They would just bring on um, various things or people or whatever. Um, and they'd show Ed Asner. And he would sit there stone-faced. And they would wait for a reaction from him 
and they would ask, does this impress Ed Asner? And it would just be him trying not to react. It, it was like the modern try not to laugh videos, mm-hmm. kind of, um, except sometimes he would smile or maybe he would laugh or a thumbs up or something. They would just, he would do random things. Um, or sometimes he would just shake his head and that would be, that would be the joke is does, does this impress it? There was a yeah. TV show that I remember him want him on that. I guarantee no one is going to remember the name of because it only lasted like one season. It was called Thunder Alley. Do you remember this show? No. So in the TV show Thunder Alley, Ed Asner plays a retired race car driver that gets hit, that is kind of, his world is kind of turned upside down as he's enjoying retirement. His adult daughter, freshly off a divorce, and her kids move in with him. And it really does, it's the Ed Asner that that I go to is that he's has this exterior of this this curmudgeon guy but he's a guy that will do anything for his family and everything every story I've heard about as Ed Asner in real life that is him like he just comes off as this curmudgeon-y guy but the dude's a sweetheart yeah, and and the other thing you got to know about Ed Asner is he was a union man. Yep. This, he had an office in the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, th- this man was hardcore union, um, was involved in uh, several of the big fights throughout his, his career um, whenever there was a strike or or anything he was incredibly uh politically involved the interesting thing is he was incredibly politically involved but he was not really seen initially to be politically involved he became more politically involved in the in the 80s so like the early part of his career he was kind of seen as a political and then he he really kind of got got into it he was a really admirable guy i had nothing but respect for for ed asner um and of course i grew up with the the famous dots poetry corner yeah you you shared the clip and i had to share the clip yeah, the fuzzy wuzzy. That was what I what I always thought of growing up as a kid. Uh, when when you said the name Ed Asner, I would. It was like Pavlovian. You said the name Ed Asner, and I would have to repeat the fuzzy wuzzy dots poetry corner. <laughs> fuzzy wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy wuzzy wasn't fuzzy, so he changed his name to Ed Asner. Thank you. Just oh, legend. Yeah. I kind of want to sing It's a Long Way to Tipperary, but uh, my voice is shot. (laughs) So it's one for for my Mary Tyler Moore fans out there. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tipperary. To the sweetest girl I know. Goodbye to Piccadilly. Farewell, Wayne. 
Leicester Square. It's a long, long way to Tipperary, and my heart's right there. But yeah, rest well, Mr. Asner. You were you were something else. Yeah. Wanna wanna let, t- talk about a cute rat movie now? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the cute rat movie. <laughs> Ratatouille, Pixar. It's been a while since we talked about it. Well, it's been two months since we talked about the Pixar movie. But yeah, this one came out in in two thousand seven, and this uh, y- y- this was one of those movies that you never really got a chance to watch until we started this podcast. Yeah, I don't know how I missed this one. Um, I'm, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out how I, I never got around to this one and I can't figure it out. I, it's, I should have seen it, but just never did. I love Patton Oswald. I love Pixar. I like cooking. I like rats. I I don't I don't know how this got by me. Yeah. So yeah, this the you know, Disney loves them their rodents, you know. I remember seeing this movie when it came out and I I was kind of skeptical of it. Okay, we're going to have a a rat cooking. I I see the the joke how easy. How you know Chef's kitchens are supposed to be really clean and rats are kind of dirty. I kind of get the joke, haha. But this movie really it's it's the Pixar formula. It works. It just pulls at your heartstrings at, during these times and you know, it follows the what if blank had feelings motif that, you know, the the meme that everyone says about Pixar. What if kitchen rats had feelings? Yes, what if kitchen rats had feelings? Uh apparently uh our younger generation has such a connection to this film that it kind of launched something last year. So last year, 2020, you know, uh, people were stuck at home. And uh, it started with people doing cooking videos. A lot of people doing cooking videos last year. I don't know if you saw a lot of those or not, but I did. Yeah, all all of my friends would not shut up about their sourdough starter. And a lot of them were doing videos to the soundtrack of this movie. And, of I mean, I get it, but it's like, of all the movies that feature cooking, Ratatouille's music seems to be the fit that everyone was doing. And uh, over the last year, myself, like, a lot of people uh, started going on TikTok where a lot of these cooking videos were, one-minute cooking videos. And it started in August with a TikToker named Emily Jacobs who did a 15-second song praising Remy the Rat. Remy the Ratatouille, the rat of all my dreams. I praise you. And that TikTok became so popular that it ballooned into 
several people creating Ratatouille the TikTok musical. Several uh, songwriters were writing songs about scenes in the movie. Dancers were making choreography. Model builders were making what they think the set would look like on Broadway. Puppeteers were making puppets of Remy. Like, this would work on a Broadway stage. It was amazing. It just, the creativity coming from this one movie with all of these people just saying, yeah, we got to make Ratatouille into a musical. And it boils up into January of this year where we actually get Ratatouille the TikTok musical. Granted, it's entirely filmed at home. People are at home, but the people that were involved in the actual musical... Wayne Brady, Adam Lambert, Titus Burgess, and a couple of Tony Award-winning people, Disney people, all getting involved in making this musical into the closest thing to reality at that time. It's like we've seen Disney musicals, you know? Yeah. Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, Mary Poppins. The first Gen Z Disney movie to become a play, a musical, was Frozen. But you kind of argue that maybe Ratatouille has some merit in that. Like, yeah, I, I was really impressed with uh, what they did with it yeah um there is some uh merit to pointing out to disney what can be done when you're not a bag of richards about your copyright these people didn't make like a bunch of money on it i mean granted disney didn't make money on it either really but it was really good and it made people really happy. Yeah. And maybe, like I said, when you're not a bag of Richards about it, this is the sort of thing that can happen. Yeah. This sort of collaborative awesomeness. And maybe you should think about that. In and the it, also, it also shows the power of the internet in 2020-2021, where people who've never met each other but have a love of one thing can come together and make something wonderful. People want to be creative. They want to get together. They want to do things. Um, and if we let them, um, and if we give them the space, the time, the ability, uh, awesome things will come out of it. So yeah, if you have not seen Ratatouille the TikTok musical, I believe a version is on YouTube. Although there is a version you can pay for that will go to charity. Yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, give it a shot if you haven't yet. But we're not talking about the musical. We're talking about the movie. <laughs> so in in our sort of lead, um, I, I was really surprised how it goes back and forth between this being a speaking and non-speaking part, depending on whose point of view we're catching. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're watching the rats, Patton has a lot of dialogue. When we're watching the humans, not so much. Um, but yeah, we got Patton Oswalt as Remy the Rat. Um, I mean, how much do we really have to say about Patton Oswalt? Stand-up comedian who's been in everything. Yeah. Um. Well, okay, so he's been in a Pix- Disney-ish movie. He's been in Marvel. Can we get Patton Oswalt in Star Wars? He's been in two Marvel things. Yes, yes. He, he, he's he, he's been in Agents of Shield and he's been in Modoc, which I finally uh finished the first season of Modoc. It is excellent. I I I I want Patton Oswalt as Modoc in an MCU thing. <laughs> yeah, his his take on Modoc was was pretty awesome to me. Um He's now uh, been doing the uh, revival of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 as well. Yep. Um, TV son of TV's Frank. Yep. And uh, he's uh, set to come back for the for the new episodes that they're working on. Yeah, he he is. Uh, which I kickstarted at a rather exorbitant amount because I wanted me that music box. <laughs> That music box, I think, was a was a stroke of genius because I know so many people who looked at their bank account and looked at that music box and went, ouch, but I need that music box. <laughs> <laughs> and I was one of them. Uh, but yeah, um, actually, he's been in three Marvel things. I just remembered because he was in one of the Blade movies. Does that count? It kind of does, yeah. But yeah, he does so much uh, voiceover stuff as well. But uh, yeah, uh, apparently he was chosen for this because he does a lot of um, food-related stand-up bits. Yeah, I I can see that. And uh, Brad Bird, the director, had uh, seen some of them and loved the way he talked about food in his stand-up comedy and thought that he could deliver lines with uh, about food with the correct amount of passion. He he does a great job in this movie. He does a great job in everything. I'm <laughs> I'm a I'm a huge fan of of Pat Oswald. Mm-hmm. Moving on as the human part of the cooking team, Alfredo Linguini. That's a that's that's a real name. That's a real name that belongs to a real person. Uh, we've got Lou Romano. He is primarily an animator. Primarily right. an animator at, at Pixar. And uh, occasionally he does some background voices. I, I think we were talking about that this might be the first and only so far uh, lead character that he has done. Yeah, he did Bernie Crop in The Incredibles, Snot Rod in Cars, um, and then he did Alfredo in Ratatouille. I only assume that they did, like, the storyboards, he read it, and they said, you know what, no one can do it better than you. You're in. <laughs> yeah, I guess. As Chef Skinner, 
who is kind of our villain of the movie, I guess. We have Ian Holm as Chef Skinner. Uh, Ian Holm, everybody's going to remember as uh, Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings. Um, the the older version of Bilbo, of course. Of course, he's it's such a career for him. Yeah. Um, Ash in Alien, uh, Francis Willis in Madness of King George, Father Vito Cornelius in Fifth Element. Um, so, but yeah, I think I think he he knew once he did Lord of the Rings that everybody would forever remember him as that and i i think he he was cool with that uh another legend in um remy's dad Django, we got the great brian dennehy yeah where do you start with brian dennehy i i don't even i don't even know cocoon or do you go with like first blood I mean, like he's in the first Rambo film. How do you you beat that? Um, uh, He's in one of the better productions of Death of a Salesman. Um, He was the dad in Tommy. He was Chris Farley's dad in Tommy Boy. uh, He's in that uh, excellent uh, Romeo and Juliet, Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. You know, that all everyone our age remembers. You know, it's the, the version we grew up loving. Not a lot of it was uh, ch- children's fare, let's say. There are quite a number of actors in this movie that you wouldn't expect to be in a children's movie. No, there there are um, there are a few that this is kind of their their only children's <laughs> children's yeah. film. But um, he's he's one of them. So yeah, you know, usually known for playing big kind of mob parts, and he kind of does that here. So as our kind of secondary antagonist, I guess, Anton Ego, the, the food critic, critic yeah. uh, we have another just legend, uh, Peter O'Toole. He's, yeah. he's going to be best known as Lawrence in Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips and Lion Winter and My Favorite Year. He weirdly holds the record for having the most Oscar nominations for acting without getting a win. Hmm. And in fact, it was such a kind of running gag, I guess, that eventually they gave him an honorary uh, Oscar for his entire career. Uh, I guess because they felt so bad uh, for it. One of the the greatest of his generation. Um, and this was such a moving performance. Uh, he didn't do a lot of um, uh, like animation voiceover kind mm. of stuff. But his performance in this is incredibly moving. Especially how he essentially gets a, a difference in his voice from when he's the curmudgeon guy until he gets that memory at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, really, really great. Just love him. Uh, and uh, as 
Colette, the only woman in the kitchen and our uh, love interest for our main character here. We get Janine Garofalo, another one you don't generally expect to find in children's movies. Have you heard her stand-up routine? <laughs> yes, I have, and I'm, I'm quite partial to them. She she was kind of a low-key idol of mine growing up, honestly. Um, I, I absolutely adored her stand-up and um, her films and kind of just her vibe. She was, I was kind of surprised to realize that was her. Yeah, because even me, when I first saw the movie, I knew she was in the movie, but it doesn't sound like Janine Garofalo at all. And she's someone who's not known to do voices in her routine. Yeah, and she's got the, the, the French accent, and she's a lot more toned down. But, you know, it really is in her... In her wheelhouse, it's a big feminist character, and it talks about a lot of the same things that she talks about in her stand-up. So it does fit kind of with her her general themes. So I can see why she agreed to take uh, the the part. Is at first you would think that she doesn't you know that it doesn't fit with her but as you kind of look into the character it really does uh mesh uh with with everything she talks about and everything she stands for and pulling a serious performance out of an over-the-top french accent yeah at first you think that it's going to be a more comedic role than it is but it it really is a more toned down and and dramatic role uh in the middle of all this uh zaniness that's going on around her and uh kind of rounding out uh the last one we're gonna talk about in depth here uh we have the uh Horst care the German sous chef. That uh, comes in, and he's played by Will Arnett, who most people will be most familiar with right now as uh, the voice of BoJack Horseman. Uh, not not his only uh, thing. He he's also Batman in the the Lego Movie mm-hmm. uh, series and and stuff like that. But uh, he he does a lot of voice acting. Um, he's in. Uh, Despicable Me and uh, the Monsters vs. Aliens uh, stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, big comedic actor of course he was on Arrested Development uh, for a long time his probably other big claim to fame Um, but uh, animation wise Bojack Horseman is really the the thing that got him, and of course that, you know, it it starts off comedic and then it, it gets less so as it goes on. Yeah. Uh. But. Uh, a smaller role in this one, but uh, pretty good. Uh, but we do have another a uh, couple of people to just kind of name check. Of course, we've always got John Ratzenberger. 
The good luck charm. Yeah, good luck charm. In this, he plays uh, Mustafa, who is the uh, chef de salle uh, for the restaurant. And we have Brad Bird, the director himself, popping in for a cameo as uh, Embrister Mignon, who is the, the butler for Anton Ego. Uh, that delivers the news that Gusto's is uh, back on the map. And speaking so. of Gusto, Brad Garrett Brad as Gusto. <laughs> yeah, we talked about we talked about Brad Garrett when we did Bugs Life, but uh, yeah, he returns here as uh, Gusto. I kind of want to talk about before we get into the movie proper mm-hmm. about where they got this idea for Gusto because it kind of it kind of goes into where they got the idea for the movie from. All right, go ahead. Because it's kind of a much sadder story than they tell in the movie. In the movie, um, there's this guy named Auguste Cousteau, who was a really famous chef and had his little empire, had his restaurant, had his... Books and books, um, restaurant, uh, supermarket yeah. foods, and all that. Yeah, and he's kind of turned after death into a sort of chef boyardee kind of figure. And they name check chef boyardee <laughs> in the movie. They do name check chef boyardee in the movie. And the thing is, not a lot of people now understand the um, the history of chef boyardee. He was a real person. But he was a real person, and he was a a legitimate chef, as we would think of it. He was a high-class restaurateur. Now we think of Chef Boyardee as like, you know, spaghetti. <laughs> okay, you know, your canned spaghetti and meatballs and your, you know. His name, I mean, and I'm, I'm probably horribly mispronouncing it, but... um. Et, Ettore Boyardee, I think was the name he pronounced it. When when they um, anglicized it, they anglicized it as Hector Boyardee. And that's not even how you spelled his original uh, last name. They, they anglicized the whole thing. Um, but he was Italian who was uh, born in Italy and eventually came over through Ellis Island. Uh, but he was... Um, a legit uh, chef. So Boyardee was a had trained partially as a as a legit um, uh, chef, uh, or at least tried to. He was a lot like Linguini, um, in that he mostly got relegated to the non cooking kitchen jobs, but he wanted to be a legit chef. And then uh, he. Uh, finally worked his his way up um, in uh, once coming over to the U.S. uh, He finally worked his way up to head chef and became a really celebrated restaurateur. But then World Wars started breaking out and they needed uh, canned stuff to send over to soldiers and, and everything. And he created this kind of canned pasta sauce that was shelf stable and that you could send everywhere. And that's that became really popular. And he started making money off of that. And then he be, 
he went from famous high class chef to the guy who made the bottled stuff that you could cook in your kitchens and it kind of spun from there after he died then um you know it it spun off after that and then it became you know here's all the canned things and stuff like that when they kind of parodied that in this film of that's what they're doing to to this guy's legacy it's a very similar thing he's a legit chef and now he's this guy that's just on frozen foods and people are sort of forgetting that he once stood for high class snooty food but i do kind of like the way they undercut it later in the movie but he was mostly based on a different chef a guy named bernard loisseau now loisseau had a a restaurant and was absolutely fanatical about getting um michelin stars and he wanted a three star rating which is really difficult to get um for anybody who doesn't follow all this restaurant nonsense um think of it for our listeners who may not be understanding i'm going to say it's kind of like uh an, an actor that chases for awards yeah a claim a claim that's what this, this this chef wanted yeah um so it's really difficult to get one michelin star two michelin stars is wow you're the best of the best three michelin stars for a single restaurant is almost unheard of i mean top of the world he was a fanatic and he worked very hard he had won like every cooking award in the world and he finally got his three michelin stars and then uh it, it took him like 17 years okay of his cooking career to get this three-star rating okay um but the cooking industry started to kind of change around him there was like a new trend in food and everything he was trying to keep up with stuff um he was going into some debt and everything and he got kind of a bad review and he started to hear rumors that the michelin guide was planning to change his rating for his restaurant from three stars to two stars he had told one of his friends if i ever lose one of my stars i'll i'll kill myself and when he heard the rumor he made good on his his threat unfortunately obsession is not healthy and that's what that was <laughs> yeah and in this story gusto dies yeah. of a broken heart here yeah he thing. gets a bad review and he dies of a broken heart after his five-star restaurant is downgraded to four yeah um 
so yeah yeah they kind of took out the 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 worst part of that, he just kind of dies of unspecified causes in the in the thing. But um, yeah, um, the interesting thing is, is as of this recording, the the real life restaurant that this was based on remains a two star restaurant. Uh, yeah, but apparently that kind of I- idea of the chef who died after a bad review is kind of where we we get the idea for this movie um but then it's uh what happens after that you know and as far as the movie goes there must have been a few more bad reviews because it goes down to three stars by the time remy gets there yeah i have a feeling that skinner um is not the greatest of chefs Skinner is more obsessed with selling Gusto's name for frozen foods. He spends yeah. more time in his office with businessmen trying to de- decide what new food are we going to put Gusto's name on rather than let's improve the menu. And the interesting thing is is that the the real life guy Loiseau that was that it was based off of one of the 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 movement that kind of came in and caused him such problem was fusion food. And we see that the thing that 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 they're basing Gusto's line off of is, uh, you know, we'll make it Mexican food, we'll make it Chinese food, we'll make it American food. You know, it's this fusion idea, mm-hmm. um, which I found kind of interesting. So yeah, let's let's kind of get into the plot and kind of talking about some of the stuff here. Let's start with Remy here. Remy is a foodie, and that's kind of his thing. He he has a very advanced sense of taste and smell for a rat. His whole thing is you are what you eat, and he only wants to eat good food, while the other rats are very satisfied with eating garbage. And that causes friction between him and the other rats, specifically the leader of his clan, which is his father. I'm going to say I identify with Remy so much. I have a hyperactive sense of taste and smell. Um, And interestingly, I work at a place that uh, trains culinary students. Uh, Every semester, I tend to go to the um, end of semester culinary meals that our students prepare. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to to watch this rat go through because a lot of the times I I do the same thing, you know, that, that I will go to these culinary dinners and I'll be like, oh, you know, is there rosemary in this? Oh, oh, I can taste a hint of that or whatever. I have a a very strange uh, palate, but unlike Remy, I am a bit more choosy. About my food, there are certain um, smells and tastes and textures that I cannot abide. Um, so some of the things, unfortunately, I just cannot eat. And it is, um, it's it's a little more uh, life-altering for me. There are some things that I just can't be around uh, because of my, uh, my sense of, of smell and taste. Uh, so... 
but uh it does it does come in interestingly uh when i when i talk to our culinary people at work story time for me i almost went into cooking school myself uh in high school uh i went to a vocational high school and after at a certain point you're kind of told to choose your vocation of what job you're going to do and i wanted to go into what they called at the time food services so you know the cooking learning how how a stove works looking how the look learning all the terms and all of that stuff i became a pretty good cook for a while i even was going to make it you know again that was going to be my job and then it just i discovered computers and said i'm going to be a computer guy and then that never worked out either <laughs> But uh, for a while, I, I actually had fun cooking stuff. I, I don't cook much anymore, mostly because I don't have time. Uh, people who know my real life job is like, I, I do not have the time to cook anymore, which is kind of sad. Yeah, um, I I am a I'm a low key foodie, but uh, I am a I'm very picky about my food. There are certain foods that I just cannot eat because of certain things but my my taste and smell is overdeveloped i can taste water hmm. um people say that water is a neutral taste but um and, and i'm sure pure water is but if i am somewhere and i taste the tap water i know immediately if it is well water or what kind of chemicals have been used to purify the water in the area how close we are to the ocean things like that mm -hmm. um because i can taste whatever sediment is in the the ocean the the water um so. we were recently at fun fest so uh, we were in a hotel how, how did that go for you hotel water is kind of interesting because all hotels kind of have this very strange taste to them because they have these very large cisterns generally kind of filter the water separately so even if they're in city water hotel water is always slightly stranger because it goes through a different set of pipes it's very definitely coming from the city system um even though we were out in the suburbs. Um, so it definitely wasn't like internal Chicago water. Um, but it always goes through a separate filtration system that's internal to the hotel. <laughs> um, but uh, interestingly, France, speaking of the, the movie, uh, France was the one of the weirder ones because it had some of the softest water uh, in the hotel there in France. Uh, it was a nightmare to try to wash my hair with the, the water there because it was uh, it just would not get the shampoo out of my hair uh, because the water was so soft. Water! Anyway! Moisture! <laughs> so, Remy's very selective palette as uh, to put it nicely kind of bites him in the butt more often than not in this movie like they're hiding out in this old lady's house but he's so obsessed with 
not eating garbage, but eating the actual food off the cupboards in the refrigerators and cooking. You know, he wants to be a chef. He he reads uh, Gusto's book and his catchphrase, anyone can cook. And it just that he he gets warned pretty early in the movie, don't go near the humans. But Remy can't help himself. He wants to be a chef. He wants to cook. And it ends up that it, it, it costs them their their home at the beginning of the movie, living in this old woman's attic. Yeah. I mean, it does it does prove useful. It's not 100% bad for him because he does become the poison control rat, I guess. Um he yeah, but that's not a job food he's, beforehand to tell him if it's safe to eat. But it's not a job he's happy with. No, but it is. It is useful. And yeah, that from a pack perspective, you know, you're a member of the of the pack. Do what's best for the pack. But Remy wants to be that individual. Which again, it 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 costs him their home, for lack of a better term, is his selfishness i guess is a is, is one way to put it well it's not i mean yes it, part of it is his selfishness but it's also his brother emile's not listening when the woman finds them in the kitchen yes it is remy's fault that they're in the kitchen and that they've dawdled too much uh because he wants to cook but when they are caught Remy tries to go out the window and into the the woods and away from the clan. Emile immediately panics and starts running back to the clan. And Remy calls out, no, not that way. You will lead her to the clan. Which means that even in danger, Remy keeps his head and knows to protect the clan above all else. But Emile panics. And doesn't listen to Remy, and it's Emile's mistake that leads her to the clan. But the mistake would never have been made had, had Remy just done what his father asked him to do. I, yes, I mean, I'm, also, I'm just saying there's a little blame to go around. True, true, true. You know. But it's also this whole thing is that which causes him to get separated from the clan to begin with. Especially the fact that he goes back for the for the cookbook. Yeah. And he's reading, which is a thing that rats are not supposed to do. Yeah, that's another big thing, is that Remy has taught himself not only how to cook, but to read human language. Which is apparently a thing all rats could do, but choose not to do. Which is interesting, because you would think that would at least be useful. I think that has to do with Remy's father. He is the leader of the pack. So he and he seems to be very anti-human. So he, he like Remy gets reprimanded for walking on his hind legs, re reprimanded for reading, reprimanded for seeing the goodness in humans and how humans create such wonderful things. Why are we ignoring it? While Remy's father is just humans are bad. Stay away from the humans and don't do anything that humans do. Yeah, I was I was remarking to my friend that humans don't really see rats as pests because rats exist. 
Like rats existing is not the problem humans have. We see rats as pests because if rats get inside our homes and bring fleas with them and leave waste, then they can make us sick. So if we had a way to communicate with rats to be like, here, we'll leave the food waste here, feel free to eat it, and you can go poop over there away from the house, and otherwise we'll just leave you alone, then there's no reason for us to put out rat poison or rat traps or... Because our only problem is when they come into our houses and potentially bring us disease. Mm -hmm. Which, at this point, it's like, well, if rats could just read... And then we could just put up little signs that's like, rat safe area, you know? And then just like, you know, instead of using it as compost or whatever, we could just leave, you know, here's some food waste for the rats. And then that's just the pact, you know? (laughs) We've made a pact with the rats. We leave food waste over here. They eat it. And then they stay away from our houses. Deal, you know? And if a rat can learn to read, a rat could technically learn how to write. And there's a two-way conversation going on there. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. I mean, we see in the movie later that Linguini is talking to Remy and Remy is nodding and shaking his head to communicate yes and no at least. Mm -hmm. Um, We never see him to the point where he can write and communicate back more complex messages. Um, but he can at least, he can, he seems to understand complex human sentences and he definitely understands complex human written language because mm-hmm. he's able to decipher a freaking cookbook. I feel like if Remy could write, he could probably dumb down the recipe enough so Linguini could use it. Maybe, but, um, I, I don't know. It it just seems like the idea of communication there. Mm. You know, is the idea of like yeah, some some people like we see Colette later is kind of creeped out by rats. And I know I know people who are just they see a rat and they don't see anything cute or whatever. They just they're they have a fear, you know. I personally think rats are adorable. Um, I know people who have pet rats and stuff. And you my know, father had a pet rat. I'll play his... with rats. And... Yeah. What, what was your What was your dad's rat's name? I don't remember. Oh, was I... it like when you were a little kid? No, it was like the later years of it. It's like I. It was mostly <laughs> my older brother ended up doing more with the rat that because my my uh my older brother's uh stepkids bought my father a rat to kind of keep him company after my mom had passed oh but it was mostly my older brother that was taking care of taking care of the of the rat oh i I love a pet rat but um but yeah so i i love rats you know they're cute Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, 
and generally they're they're rather clean animals it's just that the environment that they live in because of our environment yeah kind of uh tends to make them less clean um so yeah it's i don't know i think that uh that it's one of those things of if we communicate with them you know uh, it's, this is getting a little Ben. I sound like I'm going to become like. <laughs> You're becoming Doctor Doolittle or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, well, no. I'm, well, that's 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 less horror movie. So thank you for for going there. I was like, you know, um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know. It's uh, it's really interesting. I I don't know. The ideas of animals and humans communicating is always an interesting subject. Not always great, to, not always easy to pull off in a movie. It's, and I say Dr. Doolittle, the, the most recent Dr. Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr. Not a good movie. Um, but this this movie hold, handles it kind of cute because, um, you know, Linguini and, and Remy's communication. Because, you know, Rem, Remy looks adorable with his little nods and shaking and, you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I I kind of like the old grandma we get at the beginning of the movie with her shotgun trying to <laughs> murder the rats. Uh, I think that's a bit overkill, Granny. I'm glad your roof fell in on you. Like she's the lady destroys her own house with a shotgun. Yeah, kind of deserves it. Just put out a few live traps and some jelly beans, and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But she goes from the shotgun directly to the air poison, the pesticides. Yeah. And then she follows them to the bridge and she keeps trying to murder Remy with her shotgun. Like, good grief, woman. Like, they're already out of your house. It's over. Yeah. They're fleeing in little boats. Like, I think you're okay. Yeah. Uh, but, the fact you know, that these rats were smart enough to make boats. Yeah, that would terrify me, honestly. If if I saw a, a rat infestation and they left on little boats, I'm not even sure if that would terrify me. Like I might get, I might try to get those rats back. I mean, if if they can create things, engineer things, and then they can read on top of that. Yeah, and one of them seems very interested in in my cookbook. Like I don't know, I might be like, hey, come back, we can we can talk this out. We can make some money off of this. If you can understand me, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd be I'd be negotiating with those rats. Um but yeah, they Remy gets separated and ends up he discovers in Paris. He ends up in the sewers and ends up coming up uh right under Gusto's restaurant. And coincidentally, that's where we meet our other lead, Linguini. He shows up with a note from his mommy. Who had also recently died. Yeah. Can we please stop it with the dead parents? Um, it's, but... a, it's a blink and you'll miss it. If you're not paying attention, they do say that Linguini's mother was an old girlfriend of Gusto's. And the other cooks in the kitchen had already given Linguini a job as the garbage boy. 
He's a janitor, which, yeah, sure, why not? Gotta start somewhere. And Gusto was all right with that. He's not cooking. He's not in any position of power. Um, for those of you who don't actually know, French kitchens are incredibly regimented, um, hierarchical, and uh, there is uh, very much a, a power structure in there. Um, but the garbage boy has no power. <laughs> the garbage boy is the garbage boy. Okay. So we got Linguini working as a, a janitor. He's mopping up. He's getting garbage. And he's a complete klutz. He starts mopping up the floor. He knocks over the soup. He tries to fix it by adding just random ingredients because Linguini can't cook. And we find out later he doesn't want to. He has no ambition to be a chef. He just wants literally a job. He's just looking for money so he can survive. He he doesn't care about restaurants or cooking or... Yeah, aren't we all? We're just looking to survive to the next day. Yeah, uh, but but he he tells Remy later that he has no ambition. He doesn't want power in a kitchen. He doesn't want... He's the odd one out there. He's fine being the garbage boy. He just wants steady work. But Remy sees what he's doing. Nobody else in the kitchen is paying attention to him. So because, they don't see... Yeah, who's going to pay attention to the garbage up. boy? Yeah. Um, but Remy is looking in through the window and he sees that Linguini is messing this up. Um, and he falls in through a window and he can't help himself as he's trying to escape the kitchen, uh, but stop and fix the soup. It's his chance to be a cook. Yeah, in Gusto's restaurant, nonetheless. Yeah, his hero. Um, and he makes a few changes because he can't help himself. Yeah. He improvises. He doesn't know the recipe, and even if he did, Linguini screwed it up, so he's got to salvage it some kind of way. But Linguini sees him and catches him uh, under a colander on the way out, and... Um, as Linguini is trying to warn everybody that a rat was near the soup, uh, the soup gets taken out and is the biggest hit of the night. Everybody wants the soup. And Linguini takes credit for the soup because he's trying to, you know, he can't keep his job. Out. Yeah, he wants to keep the job. And yeah, this is the this is the point where Linguini realizes that Remy understands him. At first, he's just ranting. And, you know, screaming out questions like, what did you put in the soup? Was it rosemary? That's a spice, right? And it's like, no, not rosemary. It's like, maybe it was this. Maybe it was that, you know. Um, and then he was like, wait, did you nod your head? Did you shake your head? Can you understand me? You know. Um, and he says, hey, if I let you go, we're in this together, right? And now they've worked a deal. You know, Remy will cook the food, Linguini will take the credit, and they're going to make this work. 
the the moment though that I knew that uh, Linguini was cut out to be a cook though is there there is that moment right at the beginning where uh, Remy is running up and down and biting his hands and uh, Linguini just turns around and runs uh, through the kitchen and into the walk in and shuts the door and starts crying and I'm like yes this man can be a chef he has learned to cry in the walk in. <laughs> Because holy crap, if that isn't the mark of a chef, you know, <laughs> you have not worked a kitchen till you have cried in the walk-in. For some reason, Remy can pull on Linguini's hair, and it puppets him. Don't know how that works, but it's a cartoon. Yeah, the movie has to happen, so we're gonna go with it. Uh, so they practice. It's with a very Linguini. fun. It's a very Blind- funny montage, yeah. Yeah, it's a good montage of Linguini blindfolded and Remy learning, you know, exactly how much he has to pull at the hair to to get Linguini's arms to do the things. I'm really impressed he ma- he mastered knife skill without taking part of Linguini's hands with him. Yeah. He finally reproduces the soup. Everybody's very impressed. And um Skinner says, okay, you can be a cook, but you're gonna learn under Colette. I I love the introduction to Colette properly here, which is that she points out she's the only woman in the kitchen, and there's a reason for that, because kitchens are very patriarchal, and she had to be extremely good just to be let in the door, and she's not going to go easy on him. Which is very much in character for her Janine Garofalo character. Yeah, and sadly, it's also very much historical fact. It's one of the reasons why somebody like Julia Child was so impressive. She was able to, you know, study in these French kitchens at a time when women were not allowed. Of course, she was like a six-foot-three woman who had formed former military a, yeah. a military spy in World War II. So I think, you know, maybe there wasn't, it wasn't so much a thing of letting her as she just wandered in and was like, I'm going to learn French cooking now. So the, the good thing about it is that um, Linguini distinguishes himself by actually taking her advice. Much to Remy's own dismay. Yeah, Remy comes off as a as a slight Richard on this one. Again, it's that selfishness in Remy. Remy thinks he knows everything there is to know about cooking. He does, you know, I made the soup. I'm doing all these dishes that the that the crowd is loving. Why what do you need to teach me? Why should I listen to you? Everyone's coming for my food. Because Remy is acting like a Richard. It's making Linguini come off like a Richard because he's saying, "Yes, I will do what you tell me," but his body is doing the opposite. See, this this relationship can't work both ways. Is Linguini is not the actual chef here. Mm-hmm. You know, Linguini isn't the cook. So Linguini can't say, but what if? Or you, why are you doing that? Or could have you considered? Because he doesn't know anything. Because he doesn't know anything. So, of course, he would take Colette's advice because he has nothing to 
ask, you know, he has no level of uh, information. But at the end of the film, skipping ahead, you know, um, when Colette inquires about the um, the ratatouille, uh, she starts doing it by the recipe, by her way, and Remy stops her and she says, okay, well, how would you do it? And Remy shows her and she does it Remy's way and she respects Remy. And she sees use in Remy's ideas. And Remy respects Colette as someone who also has skill. You know? Mm-hmm. Because Remy respects Colette's uh, technical skill and understanding of the kitchen and how it works and, you know. But yeah. Colette is is less creative, let's say. Yeah, she's more of a by-the-book chef. Well, yeah. Uh, Remy is more like your grandma who would just a, uh, a dash of this, a dash of that, no measuring. It's just handful of that, and then it tastes good. <laughs> yeah, Remy is shown to cook by smell and taste and instinct. And Colette is shown um, in these early scenes with Linguini to be a... And I don't want to say this pejoratively, okay? Uh, but she is more of a line cook. She is incredibly precise. She is able to replicate a dish exactly hundreds of times, which is an extraordinary skill that I do not have. I never, I never cook anything the same way twice. Um, and I am I am constantly amazed by people who can turn out the exact same dish in the exact same way over and over again. And have it taste the exact same and, way. Yeah, and it, it is an incredible skill that I, I do not have. Um, but Colette is, is that precision cook, which is not necessarily Remy. Um, and Colette tells Linguini... It was Gusteau's job to be creative in the kitchen. It was her job to follow Gusteau's recipe to the letter under pressure and to be able to turn out 100 dishes exactly in the same way. A night. Every night. A night. Every night to be able to. And both of those skills are incredibly valuable. Um, and I think that's something I think that's something Remy doesn't understand at this point. He's for all the skills that Remy has taught himself, he's still a rookie in that kitchen. And he's trying to cook like he's a senior a senior chef. Well, Remy at this point is basically a home cook. Mm-hmm. Because that's what that cookbook is for. That cookbook is for that home cook. It's anyone can cook. Anyone can cook in their home. It's not anyone can be a chef or anyone can be in a restaurant kitchen. You know, you come over to my house and I can cook you a meal. 
And you'll probably like that meal. And you'd probably come back to my house and eat another meal I cooked you. But you probably wouldn't suggest I open a restaurant. And I definitely would not suggest I open a restaurant. It's not a world I want to be in. It's not an environment I could cook in. You know? Mm-hmm. It's two different worlds. Remy does not, at this point in the movie, respect the restaurant world. By the end of the movie, he does. By the end of the movie, he understands how to lead a brigade. By the under, you know, he understands what he's doing. Um, but at this point in the movie, he's just a, a home cook who got access to a fancy French kitchen. In a restaurant, you know, a, a and he does let it go to his head. He does. Um, you know, the 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 side nature of the the film is that uh, Skinner finally opens this letter that he's gotten from Linguini's mommy. That came along with Linguini. He didn't open it at first, but it's in his stack of mail and he finally opens it. And it says, hey, I never told uh, Linguini or Gusto, but Linguini is Gusto's son. Uh, Treat him right. Just make sure he has a job and can support himself. Don't Uh, tell Linguini that Gusto is his father. Yeah, she specifically puts that in the letter. Don't tell her. Don't tell him that. Don't don't tell him. Um, the only problem is is that what no the mom didn't know is that Gusto left in his will. Um, if I die without an heir, Skinner gets everything. But if I have an heir, the heir gets everything. But it has to be within two years, and, and that's a month away. Yeah. And at this point, uh, Skinner is saying, well, Linguini must know. Look how well he's cooking. He's here to mock me. He's here to take my restaurant. So this is where he gets, he starts uh, putting more of a focus on, on Linguini. Take, uh, pretending and making to t- sure Linguini fails. Yeah. And even uh, the lawyer says... Keep him on, keep him on staff for another month. Because if you fire him now, and the and it gets out that he's Gusto's son, you got a hell of a lawsuit on your hands. But if you wait out the month, you can fire him for whatever reason, and he has no claim to the restaurant. Yeah, but just to check, they're going to test a hair from. Gusto and a hair from Linguini. DNA test just to make sure if it's if Linguini's mom isn't just making it up. I'm not sure those existed at the point that this movie takes place, but sure, we'll go with it. And it's at this point where we get the reunion as Remy finds his brother digging in the garbage of the restaurant. And earlier in the movie, 
we see Remy trying different flavors of different foods, and we get this really great animation sequence of color behind him. It's that 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 uh, try to represent what taste feels like in a visual form. And it's a really great sequence, and he tries to replicate that with its brother. Here, 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 taste this, then taste this, now taste these two things together. And it looks like it's starting to work for his brother. The colors aren't as bright, and they're not as flashy. But the moment quickly passes because it's just not his persona. Like, he's not that much of a foodie, unlike Remy. Yeah. Um, have have you ever had that moment with with somebody? Yes, not necessarily in food, but it's. I think everyone goes through that of something that they're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I've had that moment specifically with with foods too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, my my mom's side of the family specifically. Um, especially, you know, I, I went, I went to Europe as a teenager, um, to, uh, France and England, but, uh, they, they were very worried, uh, when I went that I would, that I would try weird French food. And when I came back, they were asking me what I had tried and everything. They were absolutely appalled that I tried escargot. Snails. How yeah, disgusting. they were. Um, but although you uh, can kind of also see the same thing in uh, reactions to people about sushi, you know, raw fish and seaweed and rice. Yeah. Um, and I love sushi. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very picky about my sushi. I'm I'm very. I don't want to say traditionalist because that makes me sound like, you know, I, I don't really know anything about the the um, Asian traditions. And I don't I don't want to say that, but um, let's call it simplistic. I'm very simplistic about my sushi. I want it to be rice, fish or, or some kind of protein and seaweed. That's, I want it to be those three ingredients. I don't want you to start adding other things to it. So when you start adding like avocado or cream cheese or stuff like that, you've ruined it. Like give me some kind of seafood, rice and seaweed and then stop. Like, you know, so that's, that's what I want in my, in my sushi. So if it's like tuna, rice, seaweed, we're good. Shrimp, rice, seaweed, we're good. Eel, rice, seaweed, we're good. Um, but you start adding like a fourth thing to that. No, like stop, you've ruined it. Um, so I'm very simplistic in my in my uh, sushi. Um, but I will I will try almost anything that was an animal. I'm a carnivore, and I want to try all animals that I can ethically source. Kind of goes back to Funfest, that, that restaurant we went to. Yeah, we did. We had an, at a restaurant and I had an elk burger that was very, very good. 
Didn't they also? Uh, maybe I'm misremembering. Did they also have like a buffalo burger? I think? Yeah one one of the one of the members of our party had a buffalo uh, burger. I just had chicken. <laughs> they, they, yeah, I wasn't going to be as as courageous as you two. <laughs> yeah. Um. But down down here where I am, uh, you can uh. One of the restaurants in town has um alligator on the menu. Mm. And I like uh, getting their alligator bites. Uh, they frequently have turtle uh, as well. Um, so I I like that. Um, escargot I'm less partial to. I will eat it, you know, if it's if it's there. I'm not against eating it. Um, but it is quite chewy, so it does take a long time. To kind of get through the very rubbery texture, um, especially if it's not prepared right. Um, so, you know, it, it's things like that. Um, Remy trying to tell his brother about the the depth of the flavors and stuff like that. I I do like that that bit and I like the way it's visualized I like that there are different shapes different colors um I like that there are different like the shapes are different lengths and line weights and stuff like that so I like that they use all the tools in the animator's box to visually get across and I like that there are like musical cues that go along with it to kind of give you the audio sense of it yeah and I do like that hit that that uh, Remy's brothers is more blurred and more muted colors compared to the bright dynamic uh, visuals and colors that of Remy's to differentiate their their taste palette. Yeah, and I like that his brother tries. It's not that his brother is refusing. It's just not for him. He even says it's not my style. And that is one of the the relationship between the two brothers. It's like, okay, it's not my thing, but I'm going to give it a chance for you. And it really, also the relationship between Remy and his father, who flat out is not interested in anything that the humans make. Yeah, I think that's the difference between his brother and his father, and the reason why he and his brother have a better relationship than he and his father is that his brother is at least willing to try and willing to respect. That I don't quite understand it, but it's your thing, and I respect that it's your thing. But his his father just will not respect it in the slightest. He won't even try. His uh, the phrase that the father says is "food is fuel." If you're picky of what you put in it, you're not going to go anywhere. I understand that, and sometimes you have to be like that. I am both a foodie and the queen of the uh, one pot poverty meal. Uh, I, I love a good meal 
at a fancy restaurant where I can sit down and, you know, really flex my palate and everything. But at the same time, I can take, you know, a 10 cent package of ramen and some canned chicken and, you know, whatever spices are in my cabinet and whip it up in one pot and then eat it right from that same pot. And it will be fine. So, yeah, you can see the point of both of them, but it's the extreme that both of them go to that is that just drives them apart. Even when Remy's saying, hey, not everything the humans make is bad. Uh, the father's response is to take him to an exterminator, showing him all of the dead rats and all of these poisons that the humans make. Like, this is what humans do to us. We should stay away from them. Yeah, and you can kind of see the father's point. Mm. I mean, he's he's not wrong in that most humans would kill a rat without a second thought. So I get where his dad's coming from. We see how humans react to Remy at some points in the movie. Yeah. Skinner has sort of, in a vain attempt, has taken uh, Linguini under his wing. One, to get the hair. And two, to kind of see if he's been faking it. But he straight up says, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to do anything. Like, how is this guy making all of these great meals when he's only been cooking for four days at this point? Yeah, I I like the point where... He says, don't tell me this is your first time cooking. And Linguini counts up on his fingers. And he's like, no, this is actually my fifth time. Because um, after they have their discussion, oh, yeah, now that we've had to do our discussion and you've cooked, um, you actually have to do your actual job and clean up the kitchen. Yeah, Skinner is so mad he makes uh, Linguini clean up drunk after he's worked a full shift. Um. But Colette comes in and Remy is uh, weakened at burning uh, Linguini's body with some sunglasses over his eyes to disguise the fact that he's asleep. And Colette is trying to have this conversation with him, basically trying to say, you know, you're not like my, you're not like most guys. You're actually pretty sweet, and because. Linguini is technically asleep, and Remy is puppeting him. It makes him coming off like a giant Richard, like he's just blowing her off to the point where she slaps him, and that gets him awake. That's got to be a horrible way to wake up. Like, the last thing you remember was you were mopping a floor, and then suddenly you wake up to massive pain in your face and a woman screaming at you, and you don't remember where you are or why you're there. In the middle of this conversation that you were asleep for half of. Yeah. I thought you were different. I actually liked you. Ringwini tries to apologize, saying, hey, I like you too. So I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is the weird part, because Remy clearly wants to have the secret kept. He doesn't want the secret to get out that a rat's been cooking all of these great meals. But later in the movie, he hates the fact that he's not getting credit for the, for the meals. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't know that 
I, I don't. I understand that he's freaked out as well because he doesn't know uh, how Colette's going to respond to this. So he does kind of the one weird thing in the movie, which is he kind of puppets Linguini into kissing Colette, which is bizarre because it's not really the most consensual kiss for either of them. She's about ready to mace Linguini. Yeah, I mean, it sort of eventually turns into a consensual kiss because she decides not to mace him and he stops fighting the puppeteering. And we know from what they said before that they were both into each other. But when the kiss starts, it's not consensual for either of them because he's being puppeted and she's She's freaked out by him and ready to mace him. So, not super thrilled on this scene. But... From Remy's perspective, it was the only way out without without Linguini revealing the big secret. Not yeah. not the best move on Remy, but his options were limited. Uh, I don't know. He could have like bit Linguini's head or something. Uh, yeah, made Linguini take a step backwards. I don't know. There were other options. I'm just saying. And this is where we get to Ego, that uh, Gusto's restaurant is getting popular again. They have a new chef that is thrilling everybody. And he's angry because, hey, I wrote off Gusto's years ago. How is his, how is his restaurant popular again? Things change, dude. Get over it. Yeah. We, we just told you there's a new guy. It's revealed that the DNA test has come back, and it's true. Linguini is, in fact, Gusto's um, out-of-wedlock son, which is um, a bold move for a Disney movie, having a child born out of wedlock. So, I didn't think about that, but yeah, good good for them, I guess. So but need- they, do, they do say that they had to run the DNA twice because the first time it came back as rat hair. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. And it's uh, we we fast forward to the end of the of the night. Uh, Colette and Linguini are uh, kind of having their couple moment. They decide to they're gonna go ride on her on her motorcycle because um, badass woman on a motorcycle. Her and uh, Colette and Gogo should should hang out and ride motorcycles. Yeah, I'd be down with that. And which end up ends up leaving. Remy behind. It's a trope in movies I kind of don't like, but it's a means to an end to get to the plot twist in the movie. Two best friends, one gets a girl, and now the other's jealous kind of deal. Yeah. Remy decides, you know, hey, whatever, I'm gonna uh, go feed uh, some of my bros. Uh, But the food pantry's locked, so he needs to get the key from the office. He gets the key, finds the letter, and finds out that Linguini is Gusto's son. And steals the letter. But uh, the letter eventually ends up in Linguini and Colette's hands. And uh, per the will, Linguini is now the owner of the restaurant and Skinner is fired. Kind of an extreme move. 
Yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd scene in the movie. This is kind of the only part of the movie that I really have issue with because it happens very quickly and bizarrely. Like, they confront Linguini with the letter and the DNA test. The next scene we see is Linguini and the cooks are having champagne. And they're just like, you're the boss now. Like, there's no kind of him going, wait, what? Do I even want to own a restaurant? It's just like, oh, he's the boss and Skinner's not here anymore. But the restaurant is the hottest thing in town again. And Linguini is giving press conferences. And they're asking him questions like, what's his inspiration? And he's giving it all to Colette. He's even saying, well, how did you learn how to do this? Well, I'm Gusto's son. I just knew how to do it. And this is making Remy upset. Uh, so much so that he's making uh, Linguini bop himself in the head with cookware uh, during his photo shoot. And so Linguini takes off the chef's hat and puts it aside and everything. And Which... Colette com- comes out to collect him for for service that she starts talking about like oh yes he calls his inspiration his little chef and ha 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 which I, yeah but again remy earlier did not want it to be known that he was the chef again even making linguini kiss colette just to hide the secret but now that linguini gets the gets the idea you know he he, he gets the he gets it, you know, don't let anyone know about Remy. He ha- what 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 can he do? What if, if you don't want someone if someone doesn't want their themselves to get the credit, don't be upset when you don't get the credit. Yeah, uh it's a kind of make up your mind thing. Yeah. Um but uh, during this press conference, Ego walks in and says that he's going to come dine at the new Gusto's and he will give a review. Um, and Linguini's kind of snitty to Ego, which, fair, the guy did kill his father. Sort of. Yeah. I, I love the line Linguini gets right there, like, for for someone who likes food, you're really thin. It kind of goes to a, um, and I hate saying this because it's it's something I've heard many times of never trust a skinny chef. Well, it's I think Ego's retort is kind of interesting, which is that he doesn't like food; he loves food, and if he doesn't love the food, he doesn't swallow. Yeah, but if he doesn't love what he puts in his mouth, he doesn't swallow phrasing. Yeah. Um, this movie has a lot to say about critics and criticism. One thing is that critics must not like the thing they go into criticism for. And we'll come back to that. But Remy gets mad and Linguini after this press conference and Linguini's like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Tell them that a rat did all my cooking? Like, I can't let people know I have a rat in my kitchen. We'd get shut down. I didn't want this, but because of your cooking, we're here. Yeah, I have to be a gusto now. I didn't want to be a gusto, but now I have to be a gusto. 
as we as as this is happening, Skinner is eavesdropping, saying, "Oh, the rat's the cook." Hmm, interesting. Which also makes Remy mad because again, he wanted the credit. He wants the credit now, but he's not going to get the credit because he's the rat. Remy just finally decides to get his revenge, and he goes and tells his brother, like. Get dad, get the entire clan. Tonight we are raiding this place. And kind of an extreme, Remy. Kind of an extreme. But they do. They bring the entire clan, and Remy shows them exactly how to get in, exactly how to open up the walk in, and how to get every bit of food. Unfortunately, uh, Linguini comes back. Yeah. Comes back to apologize right in the middle of the raid. And it goes about as well as you expect to. Once again, it's a situation that was worsened by Remy's brother kind of not listening to Remy. Yeah, everybody else was hiding and it was going really well, but Emil really, really wanted them grapes. And he gave them, he gave them away. And Linguini chased off the entire clan, including Remy. Yeah, he's like, you know, you, you you betrayed me. I, you know, you're, you're stealing food from from the restaurant, and I thought we were we were friends. We had a, we, we we were partners, and you betrayed my trust. Now get out of here. Don't come back. Or uh, I love that line. I'll do to you what we're supposed to do to rats. Yeah, and he calls them pests too. Yeah, not just rats. Well, I'll do to you what I, what we're supposed to do to pests. And that's that's a pretty harsh line. Well, for lack of a, it, you know, for the purposes of this movie, Remy is the only friend Linguini has, and his only friend just betrayed him. I How, mean, it's it's bad all around. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying there's not blame to go around, but there's, yeah, like I said, everyone every party has a has a bit of the blame. Uh, Linguini. Uh, Exploding on Remy to begin with over the whole now I'm a Gusto thing. Remy betraying Linguini's trust by raiding the raiding the the food pantry. Now um now um Linguini's kind of screwed here. Because Ego's coming, he can't cook anything. What do? The next day Remy is trying to figure out what to do. And Emil goes, hey, look, there's cheese. And Remy goes, no, and ends up in a trap. Because Emil has no freaking sense. No sense of self-preservation. Just he sees food, he's going to eat it. Uh, but uh, Skinner has trapped Remy, and he gives Remy an ultimatum. You're going to help me figure out a entire new line of frozen foods for Skinner's frozen foods or I'm going to kill you. And here's what I want to know. Like, why? Frozen food doesn't have to be good, my dude. It just has to be, like, stable and edible. And that's the weird thing is that that's kind of been Skinner's whole M.O. from the whole movie is this frozen food empire. He could have easily had Remy 
build a new menu and open a brand new restaurant. Because he has Linguini's secret. He could he could use Remy to open up this new restaurant and take over the popularity from Gusto. But he doesn't. His focus is, I need to sell these frozen meals in supermarkets. And that's where the real money is, apparently. Yeah, I have no idea why he would do that. Because, I mean... Seriously, frozen food just needs to be barely edible and stable and a freezer. That's it. You don't you don't need like a genius cooking rat to develop it. I, most of the food I eat, I am willing to believe was developed by rats. Like the stuff in my freezer, if you had told me that like a marginally intelligent rat had come up with that recipe, I'd be like, yeah, that that sounds about right. I I could I could believe that right now. It'd be like, oh, lean lean cuisine just uh, employs a, a marginally intelligent rat to come up with their yeah no that's that sounds like exactly what I'm tasting coming out of that meal. Yep, okay. There goes our brand sponsorship from Lean Cuisine. <laughs> I've just scuttled that. <laughs> but, okay, so Remy gets saved by uh, his brother and father. He's running, to help, he's running because he, he has to help Linguini because that's his friend. He can't let his friend high and dry. Meanwhile, but also, he's a cook. His yeah. dad asked him, why do you care so much uh, if the if the restaurant fails? And he says, because I'm a cook. Which I think is the entire point of the movie. Finding out who you are? Yeah, is that he's not a he's not a rat, he's not a human, he's he's just a cook. Whatever else he is, he's a cook. And I I respect that. Yep, he so Remy makes it back to the restaurant. Uh, everyone sees the rat. They're going to go after to kill the rat. Linguini saves Remy and comes clean. It's like, I didn't invent any of those dishes that those people loved. The rat did it. This is the, this is the, the my secret. This is the secret that for all these dishes. And if you trust me, we, we can get through this. We can, we can, you know, serve something to ego that he'll like. If you trust me. And all of the cooks walk out. I love this moment so much. Because it's the opposite of what this kind of moment would be. You know? Well, in any other movie, it would be like, oh, the little rat, sure, we'll help the little rat. And like, no. No. In reality, they'd be like, oh, we're working for a crazy person. Goodbye. I mean, considering other Disney movies, this is the same company that make Air Bud. If this was Air Bud, they would all be behind the dog. Yeah, no, the, I am so glad that everybody in this this thing walked out, including Colette. I just lo love this moment so much, and it's just Linguini and Remy and. They're trying to figure out to do what to do, but Remy's like, all right, I got to get to work. Washes his little rat hands, starts trying to figure out. And then the clan shows up. Yeah. And his dad's just like, hey, look, I don't get it, 
but I get it. Like, this like, is important you. to you. Yeah, this is important to you. I don't get it, but this is important to you. I'm going to be behind you because you're my son. Yeah, we're family, so you just tell us what to do, and we're the muscle. And so I love that he puts the rats in the, like, the plate steamer <laughs> sanitizer to get them all clean, which is the cutest thing. I mean, probably in real life, it might kill the rats. Maybe. Maybe. It might just, like, burn them really bad. It's a cartoon. We can let this one but, uh But, yeah, they get the rats all clean and sanitized, and he divides them into squads and starts, you know, putting them out. You know, you're on vegetables, you're on sauces, you're on, you know. Um, and as, and this, as this is happening, Colette, on her motorcycle... Passes by a bookstore with Gusto's book saying anyone can cook. And it gets her to turn right back around. Anyone yeah, I can mean, cook. Are, are you going to believe that or not? You worked for this man up until his death. You believed in him. You are yeah. also able to replicate his recipes to the letter. Why anyone would you not let anyone? Can exactly. any, can Even anyone though a rat? Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then possibly the funniest part of the movie, which is the health inspector walks in and just sees hundreds of rats running the kitchen. Um, if if you are able to find the UK version of this, um, TV chef Jamie Oliver actually voices the the health inspector. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that that is a version we have on our our Disney Plus. I don't know if Disney Plus in the UK actually. If we have any listeners in the UK, you, you, you mind yeah, letting us know? I would love to know. I I don't know. I may have to, like, hit up a VPN or something and see if I can figure that out. But uh, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Um, well, Linguini does need something to do in all of this. So he says, well, some you need someone to wait the tables. Uh, during their date, as we, we kind of skipped over... Uh, Colette and Linguini's date. Colette teaches Linguini how to roller skate. Yeah, there's a whole montage of them having like a, you know, their their romance blooming and them going out on several dates. So because he now knows how to roller skate because of Colette, he's it's actually a pretty great scene of him, you know, one waiter on roller skates doing this entire restaurant. And he's very efficient at it. Um, he's not a really good chef but he's actually a very good front of house person yeah um he's really good at refilling drinks and taking orders and uh talking to customers and so he's a very good maitre d and waiter but uh colette has rethought her anyone can cook and she comes uh back uh the the health inspector has been has been dealt with because uh 
uh, Remy's dad and uh, one squadron of rats has gone out to uh, get the health inspector, tie him up, and uh, put him in the walk-in while they complete the service. Um, but Colette comes back to help right about the time that the uh, health inspector is being brought back in, tied up, and put in the the walk-in. She is informed that she shouldn't ask, and uh, she if agrees she, to that. She even says, if I think about it anymore, I'm going to change my mind. Yeah. Um, what does the rat want to cook? And he pulls out the recipe for ratatouille. And she immediately says, that's that's peasant food. You can't serve that in a high-class restaurant to a food critic. And she's right. They it, They actually had a high-class chef create a specific variation of ratatouille for this film uh, up until um this film this is not what ratatouille looked like um it's also known as confibialdi this specific version um Normal ratatouille was kind of rough chopped vegetables, so you'd just chop it in like cubes or whatever, and then you'd fry it and do some other stuff. Um, but they wanted a high class take on ratatouille, and so they hired a uh chef. Um, named Thomas Keller to create a version of Ratatouille that would both meet the standards of a high-class kitchen but also look good in animation. Mm. And this is what he came up with. So instead of rough cutting the vegetables, he thinly sliced them, he layered them in a certain way in the pan instead of frying them um, he did the thing where uh, you layer them in the pan, you cover them with parchment paper uh, you put them in the, the oven and you kind of poach them like that and whatever um, and uh, then you take them out and you plate them in that kind of stacked way that we see in the film. It, it was re redone um, for this thing, but it supposedly the way he redid it and you can find the recipe. Um, but supposedly the way he redid it, that it is supposed to keep in mind uh, the, idea of a traditional ratatouille but elevated mm -hmm. uh as we've seen in this in this thing here skinner also ordered he basically skinner says oh, he'll have whatever ego's having he's and very he shocked when okay. when it comes out like ratatouille really this is what you're going to serve to this high this high class food critic this the food critic that every restaurant is afraid of. The the food critic that killed Gusto. But and, we we see what happens when he takes that first bite. He gets this memory 
of him as a child. How when he would be sad, his mother would cook ratatouille. The traditional ratatouille, as uh, Kiki just described it. But ratatouille nonetheless. Yeah, you can see uh, when you're watching the movie that what he is eating as a child looks completely different. Um, so what he's eating as a child would be a traditional ratatouille. And then you can see how it looks different in the restaurant in its high class elevated form, which completely changes his demeanor. His heart grew three sizes that day, but it's a nice moment of there's just that thing. I mean, everyone has that one thing. Maybe it's a song or maybe it's, a. Uh, or something like that or, or maybe it's just a visual that will spark that moment of pure happiness from childhood it's just for for ego it was ratatouille i i had mentioned on um facebook that my mother had worn this uh, <laughs> hilariously bizarre perfume that was a tie-in to an old TV show in the 80s. And because it was a tie-in to a TV show that has long since been canceled, you can't like just go to a store and buy it. You know? Um... But it was my mom's favorite perfume. Um, And I talked about how I had saved. How when she died, we had saved the the last little bit in the bottle. That she had when she died. Because, you know, they didn't sell it anymore. And we had like a few drops left in in a bottle. And that occasionally I would open the bottle and, and smell it because... They were never going to make any more, and I was never going to, you know. And it was one of my most prized possessions. And a friend of mine for last Christmas actually went on eBay and found a bottle that someone had had of this perfume and bought it for me. Um, it wasn't a full bottle, you know, it was a, a bottle that someone had had that it had been, you know, opened and saved from the eighties, the but, um, it's, it's about like three quarters of a bottle of this same perfume that my mom used to wear. And so now I have, uh, this perfume that I can put in like a little, I've got like a little necklace with a scent diffuser and I can put the smell of my mom's perfume and this little scent diffuser necklace and carry it around with me and just immediately takes me back to my childhood when I'm feeling sad. So I guess that's my ratatouille. Yeah. And as, yeah, definitely. I think everyone has that thing that will bring back that, that memory. Unfortunately, Skinner does not have that memory. <laughs> so while the ratatouille tastes good, he admits that it tastes good he doesn't get the emotional attachment to it that ego does, but he gets barges in the kitchen. Who cooked the ratatouille? Who knew? Who's the cook? <laughs> then sees the entire kitchen of rats. 
Yeah, and uh, they they have to attack him as well. <laughs> and they lock him right next to the health inspector. Yeah. I- Ego asks if he could meet the chef. And uh, Linguini immediately goes back to Colette and is like, uh, he wants to meet the chef. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And Colette comes out and Ego says, oh, you must be the chef. And she says... No, I'm not the chef. If you want to meet the chef, you must wait until everyone else has left the restaurant. And he says, okay, I will. It, it was that good. I will sit here and wait. And so after everyone else has left, they bring Ego back and they introduce him to Remy. And at first he doesn't believe it, but they convince him. And then we get one of the more interesting monologues ever in a Pixar movie. This is what I said we would have to talk about when we talked about what this movie says about critics and criticism. Because it it talks about how critics don't risk anything to be critics. And that... Uh, critics thrive on negative criticism and that they must not enjoy the, the thing they criticize and all that kind of stuff. Great artists can come from anywhere, that not everyone can be a great artist, but great artists can come from anywhere. And that critics should occasionally stand up and, and defend the the new and the different. And this is partially right and partially wrong, I feel. This is a speech written by filmmakers trying to get into the head of a, a, you know, supposedly a food critic. But you know they're thinking of film critics when they write this. That idea that film critics thrive on negative criticism Nobody gets into criticism for something they hate. Hate watching is a thing. Hate watching is a thing. Okay. But to be a film critic, like, uh, you know, to do that as your profession, you have to do nothing but watch movies every day, all day. Read about movies, eat, breathe, and sleep movies. And if you hate movies before you start that job, that is a miserable profession. There are people who their entire thing is, I hate everything. And they're like getting hits after hits on social media and on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. That's, I mean, you often have to ask the question, do you even like anything? Because their entire thing is, I hate everything. Well, if you're talking about the channel, I hate everything, um, that's a, that's comedy. Not necessarily Uh, that. That I get. If you're playing a character, it's fine. But I'm talking about the, the, the reviewers on there that... Their entire thing is, you know, not a. There are ways where you could tell if someone's playing a character. Yeah. But I'm talking about reviewers who are just 
poo-pooing on everything, every piece of news that comes out. Uh, certain televised news programs will also poo-poo on anything that's popular or anything that's new or different yeah. just to poo-poo on it, you know? Yeah, and I think I think the internet has made this different. I'm not saying that there aren't bad bad actors out there in in the world that call themselves critics and are just there for clickbait. Okay? But somebody like Anton Ego in that kind of vein, this guy Obviously, is not one of those type of people. He's more in the classic sense of a critic, you know. A traditionalist, almost. A, a, tra- a traditional kind of critic in the sense. I'm not talking about somebody who just starts up a YouTube channel and screams, "This movie sucks!" all the time. I'm talking. I'm talking about people who are actually sin- sincere about the art form. You don't do that because you hate the art form in whatever in whatever your criticism is okay you don't do it for music or food or movies or art you know visual art or whatever because you dislike the art form you do it because that is all you think about from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and you do it because you want to see it thrive and be the best it can be. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I am any sort of, you know, film critic or anything. But we do talk about what's good and what's bad, according to us, in these movies. And when I discuss what I find good and bad about movies... I don't do it in order to say, oh, oh my God, stop making movies. I do it because I say, like, I can see where things could have been better, and I so desperately want them to be better. I can see where there is promise, and I can see where there is talent. And I can see with a little bit of polish how this could be so much better and I want in future for maybe other people making things to do this better or if this person does a film again maybe they'll rethink this trying to use this technique or plot point in the future um and I think that food critics are maybe the same way. I mean, I've never been a food critic. But I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure there have been bad actors in, in that sense of that, you know, humans are humans. I, I'm sure there's there's been a person who has been like, I, you know, I'm doing this out of spite and I just want, you know, this restaurant to fail or this chef to fail or whatever. But I 
I want to think maybe that most people come at it from an honest place. I think in terms of ego, the thing comes from he's been doing it so long. He's got he kind of forgot why he got into it in the first place because he loved food. And it isn't until that moment eating the ratatouille that made him remember why he loved food. And I think a lot of critics who are very negative have that same feeling. Like they forgot why they love music, why they love film, why they love food, why they love whatever it is they're, they're critiquing is. You know, there are a lot of critics now who, at least the, the ones who are sincere about the art form, um, who have now said that they're not going to do kind of dunking critiques anymore that they'll give you their opinion but they're not going to do like a hey let's just dunk on this movie for you know mm-hmm. this thing because they're like yeah they're entertaining to read but they tend to foster a a bad environment definitely um, also a, a bad fan base yeah because um, the more the more negative skewing uh critics tend to have a more toxic fan base that everything that they say is somehow gospel and we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of a lot of critics both of of of, of all for, uh, art forms that they take these critics word as gospel and Whatever the critic's opinion is, that's their opinion too. So if this if this guy says this sucks, then it must suck, and there's no redeeming qualities of it. So I can see critics no longer going in that direction as a way to give each piece of media or piece of art a fair chance, uh, a way for the reader or the listener or the viewer to form their own opinion. Yeah. Um. And I I think, you know, that that's kind of fair. You know, one last thing about Ego and his 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 uh, mother's cooking. Have you heard the idea, the fan theory that the old lady at the beginning of the movie is actually Ego's mother and that's why Remy knows this recipe? It's possible. But there tends to be a lot of those crazy Pixar theories. Um, I kind of, I kind of like it. Um, some people have said that the the way that the house kind of looks in the flashbacks is very similar to the way the house looks in the beginning of the movie, it, and that it could also just be reusing assets so they don't have to yeah. build a new house. Just for a, a five second scene. And that um little things about the the old lady and the the mom. Um but that it would make sense that Remy would uh would know this dish if he if that's where he grew up and that the old lady was making this ratatouille. And Remy grew up smelling it and tasting it in the garbage pile and stuff. Possible. I'm not going to throw out the possibility. 
Yeah, the movie never never makes that connection, but um, I, I a lot of fans have uh, have uh, made that uh, connection them themselves. Uh, I'm not going to throw out the possibility, but I'm still going to err on the side of it's just them reusing X as X. Yeah assets so they don't have to build a new house for a five second scene yeah i'm not gonna but i'm not gonna throw out the possibility of it yeah but i i think it's a cute idea that those those two things could be connected so you know um i couldn't find anything official that says like that that that's the intention but um the the you know, the, the fallout of all that is that uh, we do see kind of a, a wrap-up of Remy in kind of a a rat bistro. Uh, and he says, you know, everything doesn't always work out. We were closed down because, well, we had to let the health inspector go. And he did tell everybody about the rats. So Gusto's closed down for for good for being full of rats but ego invested in a new restaurant so now they've got la ratatouille which a little, is a little bistro that remy cooks at yeah they've they've set up the kitchen so that he can get around the kitchen uh Fully, they've got a little secret spot where off to the side where no humans can see, where rats can come and have their own little bistro. Ego is their main investor and visits, and the colony is uh, lives uh, nearby, you know. And it's it's just home there. They don't have to steal anymore. They can just live. Um, and Remy is the the cook, and uh, Linguini. Linguini and Colette are the front face of the the bistro, and everybody is happy and healthy and yay, happily ever after. Uh, that's Ratatouille. So let's ask the question, does Ratatouille have the magic? Kiki, this is the first time you've seen this movie. Does this movie have the magic? Yeah, I thought this was a, a cute little movie. I definitely think it has the magic. So yeah, even at now, all these years later, it's still a good movie. It still holds up. It's not a Pixar movie unless it tugs your heartstring. It's Definitely there in the flashback to the mother's cooking. At least for me. Yeah. Um, and also a bit there in uh, Remy's desire to be more and, you know, to be more than what his family wants him to be. Um, they they play a little less obviously on that heartstring, but it it's there. Yeah, if you ever wanted to be more than what you were, you kind of see that in in, in Remy. Uh, following your dreams, even though 
your own family is telling you uh, it's a waste of time. I think everyone goes through that at least once in their life. So let's move on to next week. Well, Kiki, next week looks to be a little dangerous. Let's get dangerous. We are going to talk about Darkwing Duck, the terror that flaps in the night. Uh, an episode that we have wanted to do for a long time. We're going back to the Disney afternoon. Been a while since we talked about the Disney afternoon. And this year marks 30 years of Darkwing Duck, going back to 1991. Oh my God, we're old. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, so yeah, join us next week as we talk about Darkwing Duck. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.